I'm really excited about, about being here today because um, I believe that God has put something in my heart to share with you, and I believe that God wants to deposit something into your life today. And I believe if you have an open and receptive heart, that God's going to do something amazing in your life today. Amen? The more you shout me down, the better I'll preach, and the better it will be for all of us, okay? So feel free to shout me down. Um, Sam started this series, Crowd Control, a couple weeks ago, and he's talking about going against the grain and really being different than the world around us. And he's talking about this concept of an upside-down kingdom where God's ways and, and God's methods and, you know, the dynamics of how God acts really stand in contrast to the world around us. And so we're learning how to be the kind of people that walk according to God's purposes and not just the way that the world flows, but to go against the crowd and, and against the grain. And, and today I want to share with you something that I believe is going to help you because I believe that it's one of the things that God wants to deposit in you to make you a different person who truly does stand against the grain or go against the grain. And I believe that God wants to deposit something into you that, that is, that is the, the, the ultimate definition or, or idea of what a believer is. But it's something that's very, very different than the world around us. Something that stands in contrast to the world around us. A couple of months ago, I was, um, I was in Phoenix, Arizona. Anyone been to Phoenix? It is hot there. It is the desert. It is hot in Atlanta. It is hot in Phoenix. And I, and I was with my son, and my son is 18 years old. And I know that you're all thinking, how in the world does someone this young have an 18-year-old? And thank you. For the people who laughed and the people who did not laugh, what is your problem? (laughs) I am actually, I have a 21-year-old. We have a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old. And no, I'm not old enough to have a 21-year-old. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Actually, we adopted them when they were 9 and 12. So we've got 21, 18, 8, and 5. And they're, they're all adopted, and they're amazing. They're amazing. I just spent two weeks at the beach with the three youngest ones. It was incredible. Anyway, I was in Phoenix, Arizona with um, my 18-year-old. We were actually on a college visit, and we did this hiking trail, you know, out in, you know, the desert, because that's what you do in Phoenix, and there, there was like this big rock formation that you could walk up to, and, and it was you know, it was a pretty well-worn path. Like hundreds of people go there. It's a pretty normal tourist destination. And so we walk up to, to this, you know, up this path to this rock formation that was kind of pretty high up. And you could see, you know, a lot of the desert around you, which was really beautiful. But I realized when I was there that there was sort of a, a place where the path ended and everyone kind of stopped and it was a great view. But, but I, I looked and I realized that there was like a whole other section that you could climb that was like above our heads. And there were people up there. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want to just stop here. I want to go to the top. And so me and my son were like, we're going up to the top. We're not just settling for average, you know. We're going to go the whole way. But what I didn't realize is that there is no path up there. And when I, yeah, thank you. And when I, when I went out onto the rock, I realized that like this thing was sheer and it was like completely vertical. It's like, this is not walk to the top. This is like, I'm going to fall off this thing and drop to my death. And so I go out there and I'm like hanging on to like these little sort of like, you know, bumps in the rock. And, and I'm, I'm out there on this sheer cliff, like straddling these different like hooks in the rock thinking, if I let go, I will die. 
And if I go back, my pride will die. And I'm with my 18-year-old, and I cannot let him see that. But I looked, and I'm like, but the other dudes made it to the top. There are other guys up there. And so I'm like, I am going to make it up there. And so I had to twist my body in all kinds of weird ways and, you know, come this close to sudden death. But I made it to the top. Thank you. <laughs> I made it up there. And it was a, this incredible view. And, you know, me and my son took a bunch of pictures, hung out there for a while. Getting down was pretty much the same experience. But I am still here today, and I did not die in the desert in Arizona. Thank you. But, but what I realized is that as long as I kept where I was going in my sights, I could muster the courage and the strength I needed in order to get there. And so, and so, and I think we can put that up on the screen. We have that point there. Yes. Go ahead to the next one. We'll come back to Romans 8. As long as I focus on where I'm going, I have the strength for the, the strength that I need for the journey. And life is a journey. We, we have challenges and difficulties that, that we are going to have to endure. You know, we, we do not have an easy life. But as long as we keep our eye on where we're going, we'll have the strength we need to get there. And that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. Go ahead and put that back up on the screen. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And what he's saying is, no matter how difficult today is, if you keep your eyes set on where you're going, on where you belong, on the home that you are headed towards, you will have the strength that you need because you'll have in front of your own sight a picture of the glory that is still to come. And see, the truth is, is that we live in this world, but we are not of this world. Right, right. This is not home. Like, the, like, this is Atlanta, United States of America. You know, this is not our home. We are here temporarily. And along with that come a lot of temporary challenges with a broken world. But this is not the kingdom that I belong to. I belong to a different place. I belong to a different kingdom. And Paul's saying, keep your eyes on the glory that is coming, because if you can keep your eyes on where your home really is, you'll have the strength you need in order to get there. I uh, was thinking a lot about this because just yesterday morning, I did a funeral for a man um, in our church. He had about a year and a half long battle with pancreatic cancer. Now, when they gave him the diagnosis, they said, you, you have maybe three months to live. But he, he lived a whole 18 months, which, which is pretty incredible. But I was able to talk to him, you know, multiple times through his cancer journey. And there were days where the joy felt so tangible. And I'm like, how could this man have joy in his voice? And he would describe the pain he was in, especially towards the end. The pain became almost unbearably overwhelming. But I talked to him. I talked to his wife, who stayed at home with him for a year and a half, barely left the house, taking care of him. And there was this joyful expectation. And they would say, we're getting close to the other side. And I can feel that we're right at the door. And yesterday morning, his wife, who has, you know, a lot of faith, 
she got up in front of her friends and family, some of them believers, some of them not believers. And with a big smile on her face, she said, let me tell you about those last couple days. Oh, he was in pain. No question. He asked, when is the suffering going to end? No question. There were moments where he wanted to give up, but we could sense heaven and we could feel that we were right on the door. And she said, I felt like I was going to go with him because the glory was so real and so tangible. I knew it wasn't for me to cross the door, but he would. But she got up there with tears streaming down her face, but not tears of sadness, tears of joy. And I remember talking to him, and he would ask these questions, you know, why am I going through this pain? Why, why is this taking so long? And I tell him, honestly, Greg, I don't really know. What I do know is that there is a lot of pain in this world. But what I also know is that what's on the other side is much, much better than what we're going through today. And as long as we keep our eyes set on the future glory, it will give us the strength that we need for the present sufferings. Hebrews chapter 12 gives us an encouragement. And really this was written to people who were being persecuted and people who were being hunted down for their faith. And so they were under a lot of pressure and a, a, a lot of stress. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this in verse one, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, let me just stop here for a second and break this down for you, okay? What he's saying is that we have a race to run. Like, there is a purpose for the moment that you're in today. It matters. Where you are today matters. But he says, but what I want to tell you is that there are going to be opportunities for you to bail on your race, there will be opportunities for you to lose your courage, to lose your confidence, to say, this is all a little bit too hard. Faith is a little bit too hard. Trusting God is a little bit too hard. I've seen too many people treat other people badly. I've, I've had too many prayers that didn't get answered according to my timeline. I've been in church and I've seen how churches hurt people. There are going to be times where you look at your life and your present reality and say, it's hard, and I don't want to keep running this race anymore. It'd be easier to bail, easier to bail on God, or easier to bail on my marriage, or easier to bail on my calling, or easier to bail on church, or easier to bail on tithing. It's all a bit too hard. And he said, but I want to tell you that you have a whole crowd surrounding you who are cheering you on right now. And you can't see them, but my God, can they see you? And they're looking at you and they're saying, come on, don't give up. What's ahead is so much better than what you're in right now. And if you could taste what we've tasted, my God, would you keep running? And I know that it feels awkward and I know that it feels like you're challenging yourself. And I know that it feels like you have to keep digging deep when you don't want to keep digging deep. But man, keep going because our present sufferings cannot compare to the future glory. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I think um, 
a lot of times about my grandfathers because our church was started in the 70s before I was born. And uh, both of my grandfathers were part of the original core group of people who started our church. And they were on the original board of, board of uh, elders, and both of them are in heaven today. Neither one of them lived long enough to see me become the pastor of our church. But every time I get up on stage at one of our campuses, I think about the times that they invested their life. The times that they showed up to church when there was drama at church, but they kept believing in the vision anyway. The times where they kept tithing. And my one grandfather, he worked in a machine shop. He did not make much more than minimum wage his entire life. But my man, when, when I got my first paycheck when I was in high school, he pulled me aside and he said, Jason, you cannot afford not to tithe. And I think about the times where he brought home this much and they lived in a very modest house. But yet a week after week after week, he came and he sowed his tithe. Week after week after week, he showed up and he served. Week after week after week, he believed in the vision, believed in the promise, believed that God could do something through him for his generation and generations to come. And now I get up on a stage and I preach the message of Jesus to a new generation of people. But the truth is, I am standing on their shoulders. Because every single time that they decided to show up when it was hard, they were planting seeds that I now get to harvest the produce from. Every time. And I don't know what your legacy is. Maybe you don't have a good legacy. Maybe you don't have anyone in your family who really believed in God or had any faith. But what I want to tell you is that even if you don't know who they are, you are today still surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And they know your name and they are cheering you on and they are saying, keep going, keep fighting, keep moving forward because there's something in front of you. There's something in front of you that is worth fighting for. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I'm not going to take the time to fully break all of that down, but it's fascinating. See, two different things. The sin that easily entangles, and sin is the stupid stuff that we did that we know isn't really what God wants. But then he also lists another category of things that aren't necessarily sin, but things that hinder us. And I'm thinking about all of the times that I just let a little bit of discouragement get into my heart and it just slows me down in God's purposes. All of the times where it's easier not to go after what God has for me and just to settle for where I'm at. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is throw it off. Like it's not worth it. Throw off the discouragement. Throw off the, the, the hopelessness that you feel sometimes. Throw off the offense that you could rightfully hang on to. Throw it off because you've got a race to run. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. And then here is the key. Listen to this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. In other words, it's not your faith, it's his faith. So when you feel like you don't have any faith, it's all right. Just look at Jesus and his faith will be enough for you. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. Man, for the joy set before him. Do you understand what he's talking about here? Jesus hanging on a cross, more pain than we could possibly fathom, suffocating to death, drowning in his own blood. 
having his back ripped apart, nails in his wrists and his feet. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that there's something that kept him there. Because we know he could have come off if he wanted to. We know he could have opted out of the pain if he wanted to. But you know what kept him on the cross? Joy. Joy. How do you have joy under those circumstances? But where was this, the source of this joy? The joy set before him. What was, what was the joy set before him? Oh, oh, oh. The fact that the cross would make it possible for the sinner, Jason Howard, to have a relationship with my father. The, the fact that the cross would make it possible for the sinner, Jason Howard, to stand before Almighty God as his beloved son and not as the one who would get trampled by his holiness. That was the joy, the joy of knowing that you would know him. The joy of knowing that he would get to spend eternity dancing in heaven with you. That joy, that joy kept him on the cross. See, you want something that's going to set you apart from the crowd? There's a little word called joy that everyone on earth is searching for. C.S. Lewis says, all of the pleasures that we pursue in life are just cheap substitutes. That's not the quote, but that's okay. We'll come back to it in a second. <laughs> I'm quoting something I didn't give to the team. It's not their fault. It's my fault. He said, all the pleasures that people pursue in this life are just cheap substitutes for real joy. He's like, if we could taste real joy, man, would our appetite for stupid things be eviscerated in a second. Man, if we could have real joy... But the problem with joy is that we look at our lives and we're like, I have a lot of reasons not to have joy. A lot of reasons not to enjoy where I'm at right now. But then I look at what, what Hebrew says and I think, well, if Jesus is hanging on a cross, he definitely has reasons not to have joy right then and there either. And if my friend Greg is suffering from pancreatic cancer, my God, does he have reasons not to have joy? But yet it's joy. It's joy that gives me strength to move towards what God has for me. But my joy isn't rooted in my life here. My, my joy isn't rooted in my marriage. My joy isn't rooted in my income. My joy isn't rooted in whether or not I like my job. My joy isn't rooted in the house that I live in or the, the city that I live in. My joy is rooted in something more real than all of that. And I can't see it, but man, is it more real than this world we're living in. My joy is rooted in a real reality called heaven, which is where I belong, which is my home, which is where I'm headed. See, I am where I am today, but I'm headed home. And because I'm headed home, I can face today with joy. Hanging on a cross, but I got joy. Suffering pancreatic cancer, but I got joy. Why? Oh, because I can hear the sound of the celebration and the dancing that is in front of me, and I can feel the weight of the joy that comes from having no sickness and no sin and no tears and no broken hearts and no lack, and that's the home I'm made for. I'm not there yet, but my God, I'm headed there. 
And so I can have joy because I know what's coming for me. So a couple things that we've got to accept as truth if we're going to have joy in this life. First thing, this is, not a, this is not a pretty one, but go ahead and put it on the screen. You will get wounded in this life. See, a lot of us don't have any joy because we have unrealistic expectations. We think, well, now that I know God, now that I go to church, now that I started tithing, I'm not going to get hurt. You will. You're going to get hurt because people are stupid and they're crazy and they will hurt you. And also, you have a really high capacity for stupidity as well. Can I say that? Because we all do. (laughs) I'm the one who straps waxed, sharp sticks to my feet and goes down a cliff of ice for fun. We can be stupid sometimes. (laughs) And so you're going to get wounded. People will hurt you. You'll get stabbed in the back. Church won't live up to your expectations. You'll pray and pray and pray and pray and wonder why God didn't take it away. You'll get wounded. Second truth, it's even harder. But, but we have to understand that we're going to get wounded because if we, don't, if we have this unrealistic expectation that we're not going to get wounded, then we'll never have joy because we'll be angry about the fact that life isn't perfect. But here's the second thing, and this is a harder truth. God does not shield you from all the pain. He won't shield you from it. No, I believe in the blessing and protection of God, and I believe that there are times where God absolutely is a shield around you. But I also have lived enough life and read enough of the Bible to know that you can do all the right things and end up in a very wrong place. Jesus did everything right, and where did it take him? The cross. My friend Greg served God, loved God, showed up week after week on our welcome team, tithed for years, pancreatic cancer. God, why don't you take it away? Why you let these things happen? God doesn't promise to shield you from all of it. There's this verse. I didn't put it in the the, uh, screens for today. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, he says, man, we went through it. He literally says this phrase. He says, things were so hard at one point that I despaired of life itself. In other words, I didn't want to live. And then he said, but I had to go through it. Because I learned how to rely on God by going through it. I'm like, I don't like that theology at all. I'm like, give a hundred bucks, get a hundred thousand back. I want that theology. And God's like, give a hundred. And then lose your job. And learn how to trust me. And sometimes the hundred grand will show up and you'll know it was not you. But I only learned that it wasn't me because I went through the dark season where I had nothing, but God met me there. See, I heard it said, I heard another pastor say it this week. He said, sometimes you only learn how to stand on the rock when you hit rock bottom. Oh, yeah, God will let you go through it because that's where you learn to trust him. 
because otherwise I would think that this life and all of its pleasures are what I'm living for. But I'm not living for this. This is here today, gone tomorrow. I wasn't made for this kingdom. I was made for something better. The joy set before me is what I'm living for. And I can't live the crowd control, go against the grain kind of life if my hope and my joy is tied to what happens in this world. No, I have to learn a deeper faith. I have to learn a deeper trust. And I can't learn it when everything is good. I only learn it when I go through the valley. God does not shield you from all pain. Go ahead and put up the next one. But God does redeem the wound, and he will turn it into strength. He, he doesn't stop it all the time, but he will redeem it. He promised he'll redeem it. Oh, he'll use it for glory. And see, when I was talking to Greg during the last few days where there was a lot of pain, you know, he, he would go in between. You know, and he, he, was, he was really sick. And, and, and at one, one time he would say, I feel heaven. And then a minute later he'd say, but why am I suffering? And I'd say, Greg, I don't really know the answer to that question, but here's what I do know. I know that God promises to use the suffering and turn it into good. I can't explain why, but I know that he'll use it. And see, sometimes what you're in today is part of a great master plan, but you don't see the great master plan because you're like me hanging out on that rock thinking I'm about to die. And what's the author of Hebrews tell me? Oh, Lift my eyes. Fix my eyes on Jesus. Lift your eyes, because if you could see the top of the mountain where you're headed, it'll give you the strength that you need to keep going up the face of the cliff. God redeems us. Go ahead and put up the next Bible verse on the screen. For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. God uses the weaknesses and turns them into strength. All right, the fourth truth that we need to know. I'm going to go quickly through these next three. Wounds don't have to be fatal. I will get wounded. God won't always stop it. He promises to redeem it, but wounds don't have to be fatal. And that's the encouragement in Hebrews chapter 12. The encouragement is, I know it's hard, but don't, but don't give up. See, a lot of us, the moment that we get hurt, the moment we feel a little bit of pain, we're like, it's all over. And God's like, well, it didn't have to be, but you chose that it would be. It didn't, it didn't have to be fatal, but you decided it was going to be fatal. I don't know what you've done, but I don't care what you've done. It does not have to take you out. But you can choose whether or not it takes you out. Next truth, the enemy cannot kill you because you're a child of God. So his attack is designed to convince you to give up. He can't kill you, but he can convince you to take yourself out of the game. He can convince you to stop climbing, to stop running, to stop fighting, to stop showing up to church, to stop believing in God. And you know what? If he gets you to quit, he's thrilled. And so I've got to decide I'm not quitting. And here's the last truth. The strength it requires to live in a state of joy can only be developed on the battlefield. The, thing, the weird thing about joy is that you don't learn joy when things are good. 
You don't learn joy when God answers all of your prayers exactly the way that you want him to answer them. You don't learn joy when um, you sit back and relax and enjoy everything that life has for you. You don't learn joy when things are good. You learn joy when it hits the fan. You learn joy when you've got no choice but to trust God. You learn joy when if God doesn't come through, you're out of the game. That's where you learn joy. Because joy isn't a product of circumstance. Joy is something that lives inside of you. And joy isn't rooted to what happens in this world. It is rooted to what happens in eternity. But I can't learn how to depend on that when I get my way. I can only learn how to depend on that when nothing's going my way. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 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 Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Fix your eyes on Jesus and you'll make it through too. We're, I just got one last, one last little story and then we're going to get out of here. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah has got the people of God all in front of him. And Nehemiah had just done something really, really great. All of God's people had been taken out of their home, out of Jerusalem, 70 years earlier. They watched their city get decimated. They watched their temple get completely destroyed. After 70 years of living in exile, some of the people returned back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, along with Ezra, leads this great campaign to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah gets up in front of this brand new construction, and they're dedicating the temple to God. And to be honest with you, it wasn't really a very happy day. There were good things. They had their temple back. But the people who knew what the temple looked like before the invasion were not too thrilled with the new one. And he gets up and he reads the law, the law of God. And the people don't respond very happily to this. Instead, they start crying. And they're like, we have really blown it. Like, we have not been faithful to God and everything fell apart. And so they're sad and didn't really turn out to be a very good celebration. But then Nehemiah, he says something to them. He says, no, 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 no. We are not going to be sad today. I know things don't look like what you expected them to look like. I know that our story isn't the way you wanted it to play out. I know that you feel bad about where you are and what you've done and why you are where you are. I know all of that. He said, but here's what you need to do. You need to go and have a party. Go enjoy good food and sweet drinks and send some food to those who have nothing prepared because this day is holy. This day is holy. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so all of the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because now they understood that everything was going to be exactly the way they wanted it to be. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Because now they understood the word that God had given them. Nehemiah said, you all need to go celebrate. You need to decide that you're going to walk out in joy today. And if you could walk out with that joy, it'll give you the strength that you need to keep fighting until you get to the other side. But you've got to choose to celebrate. Choose to have the party. Choose to have the joy. But that will give you strength. But you're not celebrating because things are good. You're celebrating because you've got a promise from God. 
So where can you celebrate today? Where can you carry joy today? Maybe you got to go to your cubicle tomorrow morning and you hate that place. Here's what you need to do tomorrow morning. Decide that that is party central. My cubicle is going to be where I celebrate because it may not be what I want it to be. It may not look like what I want it to look like, but this day is holy. This one is holy. Where I'm at today is holy. (laughs) So I'm going to celebrate here. I'm going to have joy here. I'm going to have a smile on my face here because my joy is rooted in eternity. And no matter what I go through today, I know where I'm headed. So I've got a reason to celebrate today. Can we get on our feet and give God a massive shout of praise? And can we practice right now some celebration? And I want you to lift your voices in a shout of victory and a shout of joy. And if you don't feel like having joy, then you need to shout even a little bit louder right now. For heaven. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise. We thank you that the best is still in front of us, God. Thank you, Lord. All right. Who needs a supernatural download of joy right now? Lift your hands. Holy Spirit can give you joy. Something supernatural. Father God, you see every person right here who needs a download of joy. Lord, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd fill them to overflowing. Jesus, Holy Spirit, right now, fill them to overflowing. Listen, you can't conjure it up, but the Holy Spirit can deposit it into you. Let him fill you right now. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, come fill us up. For the people who are suffering, Lord, I pray that right now you give them a glimpse of heaven. Now, if you're here today and you're not sure about where you stand with God, I want to give you the opportunity to make the most important choice you could ever make. And it's a choice to say yes to Jesus. Because of what he did for you on the cross, all of your sins are completely forgiven. And a relationship with him is simply on the other side of saying, yes, Jesus, I need it. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I want you. And he does not make it any more complicated than that. For God so loves you in your pain, in your struggle, in your sin, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're here today and you're like, I need in on that. One moment of faith is all that it is required in order for you to have total forgiveness of your sin and a home with Jesus in heaven. If you need that on the count of three, would you slip up your hand? I'm not going to call you out. We're just going to pray a prayer together. But it is necessary for you to acknowledge this moment so that you can look back and say, that Sunday in June, I said yes to Jesus, and he forgave me of my sins, and he made me a child of God, and now I know what's in front of me. Come on with our eyes closed if you need Jesus on the count of three. One, Two, three. How amazing. How amazing. I see hands going up across the room. We're going to pray together. And Story Church, can we all say this together boldly to encourage our brothers and sisters in this moment of their life? Would you repeat after me? Say, dear Jesus, today I say yes to you. 
Today I receive your grace. Today I receive your forgiveness. As of today, I'm a child of God. I am forever yours. And I am forever loved. In Jesus' name, amen.